What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Sharp 600, brought to you by Covers.com. My name is Joe Fortenball. Thank you so much for joining us here on episode 67 of the podcast. I am a huge fan of this guy's work. He's the voice of the Ultimate Fighting Championship, John Anik, live from Boston, Massachusetts, the site of UFC 220 this Saturday night. He's going to join us in just a couple minutes to lay out the blueprint for how to attack the Ultimate Fighting Championship's first major pay-per-view card of the 2018 calendar year. In addition, I haven't decided yet, but I'm hoping Thursday we'll drop the NFL Conference Championship preview. At the latest, it'll be available Friday, but we're aiming for Thursday to get you that Conference Championship preview. But for right now, ladies and gentlemen, let's head on out to Boston. He's the voice of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. You can catch him this Saturday night on the call for UFC 220 in Boston. Follow him on Twitter at John underscore Anik. John Anik joining us here on the Sharp 600. John, first and foremost, thank you so much for your time. We know you're busy and we greatly appreciate it. How's the buzz in anticipation of the UFC's first pay-per-view event of the year, Saturday night in Boston, UFC 220? Well, this is my hometown, and historically it's been a very good market for the UFC. Almost no matter who headlines, we've been able to sell out TD Garden. And uh, so selfishly for me, being my hometown, you know, that gets me excited. But I'm not there yet. I leave tomorrow, so I'm excited to see what the buzz is like. But I imagine it'll be pretty big. And and they always do this on this weekend where there's an NFL game, and if the Patriots are still in it, I think that gets people excited and uh, really excited for the pass game the next night. So it's just a... A huge weekend, and obviously the big news, two title fights. So uh, we're excited. Before we jump into the card, I had kind of a personal question for you. I've been such a fan of his podcast over the last few years. I had to ask, what's it like working with Joe Rogan? What a legend, man. You know, and every show that he's on feels bigger, right? So I'm begging him to do these Fox shows. You know, he's still got the schedule. He's only doing pay-per-view. But, no, it's tremendous for me to have the opportunity to work with somebody like that. And obviously as a play-by-play guy. My central focus is making these analysts shine and giving them as much real estate as they need to do that. So uh, hopefully I've done that in our first year together. You know, we had worked together a handful of other times in 2012 and 2013, but it had been a while. And uh, hopefully the chemistry continues. But, man, he just he's such a special human being, like a renaissance man, and just super intelligent, such a curious, active mind that I'm sure he has a hard time shutting off at night. And, uh, you know, he rubs off on all of us, you know, his energy, his comedy, everything else. So uh, thankfully he'll be, he'll be in the building uh, at the Jungle Saturday night. All right, let's kick things off with the co-main event, light heavyweight championship of the world on the line. Champion Daniel Cormier is going to be defending against Vulcan Uzdemir. Cormier is a massive 325 favorite in this spot. How much of a striker's chance are you giving Uzdemir? Certainly, Daniel Cormier is the more known quantity given everything he's done in the UFC. And I understand why people have a hard time, given what Daniel Cormier was able to do against Anthony Rumble Johnson, seeing a guy like Volkan Uzdemir come in here at this price or any price and beating someone like Daniel Cormier, an elite Olympic-level wrestler plus athlete in every sense. You know, don't let Cormier's frame fool you. I mean, this is an elite athlete. You should see him, you know, shoot a 15-foot jump shot. So... But that said, what Ustamir's done, some of it is unprecedented, right? He's knocked out two guys in the top eight in 42 and 28 seconds, respectively. So light heavyweight and higher, I don't have to tell you guys, one shot lands, uh, and, and he could be looking up at the lights. So 
I always give these light heavyweight contenders a shot, and Uzdemir's been perfect in the UFC, no denying the power. I just think over 25 minutes, it's a big ask for him to come in here and beat a, a UFC-tested championship caliber Daniel Cormier. But uh, Uzdemir has earned the shot. I think Daniel agrees, and we'll see what he can do with it. You know, the last time we saw Cormier was back in July when he lost by knockout to John Jones in a fight that was later overturned when Jones tested positive for Turinabal. Uh What does the future hold for John Jones, in your opinion? Do you think we're going to see him in the UFC ever again? Well, without getting into too much detail, I think it, I do think we'll see him in the UFC. I think it depends on the length of his suspension as to how many times we'll get to see him before his career is said and done. I mean, I've heard anything from a one-year suspension to a four-year suspension. I don't think he gets four years, but if he gets two, again, his crime is getting eaten up by these transgressions. And that's the disappointing thing is I think he will come back, and I think he will be in good form. But how many fights is he coming back for? And it's just disappointing. I'd love to hear him get a microphone and, and do some explaining at this point in time. You know, you try to give the guy every benefit of every doubt, but his leash has been, that's for sure, on a lot of people at this point. It's hard to blame them. But I will say, man, you know, the, the fans still, he still resonates with the fans. And for whatever reason, even with everything and the backdrop, he has still endeared himself to a, a big group of people who will undoubtedly be excited to see him come back. So, I um, mean, count me among those excited to see him come back. I just hope it's for an extended time to, to prove that he is the greatest of all time once again. Back to the card, featherweight bout between Shane Burgos and Calvin Cater. Burgos looks to extend his perfect record to 11-0 and here. He's a minus 265 favorite, but Cater's from Massachusetts, much like yourself. He's going to be fighting in front of his home crowd. Do you smell an upset in the making here? Well, you know, I think the fight is properly priced based upon what Shane Burgos has done in the UFC. Granted, all three fights have been in his home state of New York, but he's won all three of them, and Calvin Cater's only fought once in the UFC thus far. Cater's got a lot of experience, though, in his own right. He's 17-2. and two. Burgos comes from Tiger Shulman's MMA, Jimmy Rivera, Lonnie, and some other names you've heard of. And I will say, though, I think Shane Burgos might be the best fighter that Jim has ever produced. You know, his brothers train, younger brothers train. This family is all about it. So I'm excited to see what Burgos can do. You know, our matchmaker, Sean Shelby, was calculated in putting this New York versus Boston fight together. The home crowd can go one of two ways, right? I mean, Calvin Cater can be buoyed by it or getting tickets for people and the emotions of fighting at home can not be a good thing on fight night. I feel like Calvin's had enough experience that he'll try to use it to his advantage, and uh, we'll see if he can spring the upset here in a few days. The light heavyweight division, GN Volante against Francimar Barroso. Volante is a minus 185 favorite. Do you see Barroso having success trying to take Volante to the ground in this one? I think he'll try to work him up against the fence and clinch and try to beat him up there and change levels for sure. And I think that's what a lot of people do and try to do against John Belante. Belante's really worked on his cardio and his conditioning, and that doesn't always mean that it's not going to abandon you on fight night, but he is in good shape. He was in good shape for his last fight in Long Island. I talked to him yesterday, and he, he felt like maybe the hometown thing worked against him. So he's excited to go into Boston, not that he's fighting a Bostonian, but into the belly of the beast, so to speak. And both these guys have a lot of UFC miles. And I think if any of these, if either of them are going to reach the top 10 in their careers, uh, it's a must-win Saturday night. Bantamweight division, Thomas Almeida, a small minus 175 favorite against Rob Font. Almeida is a very technically sound fighter. How do you like him as a small favorite in this situation? Well, I can't tell you because I'm calling the fight, obviously, but I do understand why some betters would 
get their beak wet with him at minus 175 because of what he's done historically against somebody like Rob Font. Font, another Bostonian fighting out of Woburn, Massachusetts. So, again, as we mentioned, crowd goes one of two ways there. But Thomas Almeida has, has main evented for the UFC. He has fought the best fighters in the world. Special, special striker. 15 of his last 16 wins by knockout. Font's a knockout artist in his own right, and he feels like he's seen some holes on tape with Thomas Almeida. So, you know, I'm not saying that the fight isn't proper with Christ, but I can understand why Almeida, the more public name, would, would draw some action, you know, at anything below minus 200. All right, the main event of the evening, the heavyweight championship is on the line as Stipe Miocic is on a five-fight win streak, but he finds himself, shockingly, as a plus-150 underdog against the hype train known as Francis Ngannou. Ngannou has won 10 straight fights, the last four of which have been by first-round stoppage. How do you see the main event in Boston Saturday night? Does Miocic have what it takes to shock Ngannou? Well, again, you know, when I talked about Cormier and Uzdemir, you talked about a puncher's chance and, and one strike ending a fight. I mean, Stipe Miocic is acutely aware of the fact that if he doesn't move his head and he gets on the wrong end of one of these punches from Francis Ngannou, that he could be twitching on the canvas. But the same applies, of course, for Francis Ngannou. So Stipe feels like he's got to keep his hands high and uh, not, you know, be in the center of the octagon on a napkin trying to stand and trade with this guy. I just think Ngannou is such a force, not just the power, the accuracy, the athletic instincts. And, and Stipe is probably the greatest heavyweight of all time on paper. He and Kane Velasquez sort of jockeying for position there. Your listeners may know Stipe can set the record here for heavyweight title defenses at three. No one in the UFC remarkably has ever done that at heavyweight. So Stipe... No arguing with the results, but Ngannou, to a lot of us, looks like the, the future, this next-level guy, just a once-in-a-lifetime build and frame that he has worked into this mixed martial arts sport. So, again, none of us are surprised that Ngannou is the favorite. I can tell you I would probably stay away, though. I don't think you stayed a guy like Miocic based upon what he's done against nothing but elite fighters you know, over the last several years. John, before we let you go, what do you think the future holds for Conor McGregor? With all that money in the bank, are his fighting days behind him? I don't think they are. I think he has a competitive spirit uh, in mixed martial arts and an appetite that he wants to continue to wet. I just don't know that he's satisfied with his mixed martial arts legacy. Uh, you know, and I, you know, I was wrong in saying that I thought Ronda Rousey, well, she could come back, but I said, does Ronda Rousey want to be on a beach chair having people ask her why she never fought Chris Cyborg or does she competitively want to come back for that fight? And of course, she never did, even though she did come back. For Connor. I think it goes to a different level. I just think this is a martial artist. He actually was everything he wanted to do, and he just exceeded his own dreams with the boxing paydays and everything else. So, you know, strategically, maybe it'll be a more winnable fight, uh, according to a lot of people, against a Nate Diaz, as opposed to a Khabib Nurmagomedov or a Tony Ferguson, you know, a fight that he would certainly be favored to win against Nate Diaz. I can't say the same against the other guys. Uh, but I think he comes back. 100% will fight in the UFC. Uh, before he moves on to, to greener pastures. Check him out on Twitter at John underscore Anik. He's the voice of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Catch him this Saturday night on the call for UFC 220 in Boston. John Anik joining us here on the Sharp 600. Awesome stuff, John. We know you're busy, so thank you so much for your time. It's greatly appreciated. Look forward to hearing you on the call Saturday night. Thank you, sir. Anytime. Appreciate it. Well, I got a number. 
All right, everybody, that's a wrap for episode number 67 of the Sharp 600. A special thank you to John Anik for joining us all the way from Boston, Massachusetts, the site of this Saturday night's UFC 220. Be sure to check it out. Be sure to check Anik out on Twitter at John underscore Anik. We are back later in the week with your NFL Conference Championship preview. But for now, be well and best of luck.